Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. It's question and answer Sunday. And so I am going to answer some questions that have been submitted. And I really like this part of when I teach because I've done this for years and years. But I really like this part of teaching for a lot of reasons because um, sometimes I get hit with questions that I like totally don't expect. A question that I've never been asked before. And it gives me a reason to go looking through my Bible to find the answers. Uh, the other thing, too, I like it because it helps me get a gauge of where people are in their walk and their faith and where they stand spiritually and that type of thing. So that always helps me. So this morning, two of the questions that I'm going to answer were submitted by one of the youngest members of our church. So I think we'll find them interesting because the first question I'm going to answer on the surface looks like a really simple question, but it may the answer may not be exactly what you and I thought it would be. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. The question comes out of verse 7. This is referring to Christ's birth. And she, that being Mary, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the question that was submitted was, what was the manger made of? On the surface, that looks like a really easy answer. Well, you know, we've all got our little manger sets at home, and there's, you know, the baby Jesus is lying in a bed of straw, and it's in this little wood, you know, thing that holds all the straw and everything. But that's probably not the way it really looked. So what we have to do is, first of all, do a little bit of research and find out about how things were done in that time period. And the first place we go is we look at that word, the Greek word that is translated into manger. And the word in Greek that's translated into manger is uh, fatne. And fatne in Greek can mean a couple of different things. Fatne can mean a stall or it can mean a food crib, the, the crib that they put the feed in for the animals. So then the question becomes, okay, well, so what was that made out of? Well, if we do a little bit of investigation into the times, we find out that it talks about there was no room at the inn. The inn in those days was not like the inn today. A typical inn for travelers in that time, there would be, it would be a rectangular building that was all open in the middle. It would have an open court in the middle. And that's where you put your animals were in the open court in the middle, and then you stayed in that building. Typically what they did was the part that building around that courtyard would be raised up a couple feet. It would be made out of stone and would be elevated a couple feet. And then what they would do is they would hollow out places in that stone and put the feed in there for the animals. That was what they referred to as the manger, was that hollow in the stone where they put the feed. The other thing that they would do, like if you owned a lot of uh, animals and you had a nice, you know, a big house or whatever, you typically would have built the food crib or the manger out of stone. So the answer to the question, what was the manger made out of, 
more than likely it was either hollowed out stone or it was built of stone. So next Christmas, when you're setting up your manger scene, if you want it to be accurate, get rid of the little wood and get you some little rocks and build you a little stone, and then you can put the baby Jesus in there. And that'll be more biblically accurate. The other thing to do, don't forget that the wise men, they need to be way over on the other side of the room because they're still traveling. And keep one of those wise men in the box because we don't know that there were necessarily three. There might have only been two. So build it out of stone, put them on the other side of the room, leave one in the box. Well, that's the other thing, too, is wood Wood was, in, in that land in general, wood was a scarce commodity. So you wouldn't, right, so you wouldn't be using wood just to build a little feed thing for your animals. Thank you for that question. Okay, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. This question actually came up this morning before we even started eating. So I'm going to take a minute just to have a little fun with it. The question came up, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Some of the people, some of the people here said they never even really gave it any thought. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So we know that God created all the animals and birds and fish first before they had any offspring. So the next time someone says, so which came first, the chicken or the egg? Just say, read your Bible, Genesis 1, 21. There's your answer. See, I, I get to have a little fun with this. The second question that was submitted previously that I'm going to answer today was I was asked again by one of the youngest members of our church, and the question was, what is the Song of Psalms and what does the Song of Psalms mean? And this is actually a very good question. First of all, let's look at um, those words. And the word psalm in Hebrew means praises. So the song of psalms or the collection of those is what gives us the book of psalms. It's a collection of praises or actually a collection of songs of praises. And, and that's really what the book of Psalms is. It's a collection of songs of praise. Now, the English Bible that we use today, our word psalm actually comes from a Greek word. And where that Greek word comes from is because of the original Latin translation. Let me back up for a second. The Old Testament... The Jewish Hebrew, essentially their Bible, the Old Testament, was in Hebrew. And about 300 B.C., they translated it into Latin. All of the English Bibles that had been translated in this, you know, after Christ, were translated into Greek from that Latin. And that's where we get our word Psalms. And what it actually means is it actually means the twangings of a harp. And the reason that it is that word is used is because many of the psalms were accompanied by music, by harps. And so as they were translating it, 
they're taking that Hebrew word that means, you know, praises, and they're applying a word to it that means twangings of the harps because they were songs of praises that were accompanied by harps. So that's where we get the name psalms and what it means. The third question I want to tackle today is why are there four Gospels when a lot of the stories in one Gospel are repeated in a second or a third and even sometimes a fourth Gospel? Why do we have four where there's a lot of duplicate information as opposed to having just one or two Gospels? What I want you to do is turn to Revelation chapter 4. And you might want to put something in there, a marker or something in Revelation chapter 4, because we'll go back and forth. If we look up any other scriptures, we're going to be coming back to Revelation. But the short answer to why we have four Gospels is because the four different Gospels present four very different and very distinct pictures of Christ. One of the things that many scholars and writers and teachers have done over the centuries is they have taken the four Gospels and kind of combined them together into one Gospel. It's what they call a harmony of Gospels. And I think in my library at home, I have five separate books that are the harmony of the Gospels, some of them written by some very noted theologians and everything. I typically don't use those. The only value to me that a harmony of the Gospel has is if you want to get a chronological picture of when things in Matthew happened compared to when things in Luke, that does work. They also have chronological Bibles that you can use that for. The problem I have with a harmony of the Gospels, trying to make it all one Gospel, is you lose the flavor, you lose that picture that we're given by having four different Gospels that present Christ in the four different aspects of Him. Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to look at what these four different aspects of Christ are and how they come out in the four different Gospels. Revelation chapter 4, verse 7. He's talking, John is talking about the vision that he's given, and he's talking about these living creatures uh, that are up there. And actually, Revelation 4, verse 6. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne... Around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. These four living creatures depict the four aspects of Christ that we see in the four Gospels. Here in Revelation, he says, the first living creature was like a lion. Lion is a picture of a representation of a king. You know, they always talk about the lion being the king of all the beasts. And anytime um, back in, in those times, talking about kings and royalty, they were depicted as a lion. The book of Matthew, our first gospel, as you study it, you see that the gospel of Matthew presents Christ as the king of the Jews. Matthew, being a Jew himself, wrote very heavily toward a Jewish audience showing Christ as the king of the Jews. 
For instance, when Matthew writes, he talks about all the teachings of Christ where Christ talked about the kingdom of heaven. That term, kingdom of heaven, appears 32 different times in the gospel of Matthew, and you won't see it in any of the other three. Again, it just shows his bent toward portraying Christ as the king, the king of the Jews. The the book of Matthew itself has the longest account of the Sermon on the Mount. Most of the parables that Matthew has included are the kingdom parables, where Christ taught the kingdom of heaven is like. We also see in the book of Matthew the Olivet Discourse, his teaching before he goes to the cross. So again, Matthew's description of his ministry shows very heavily Christ's teaching about the kingdom. When we look at the genealogy of Christ that's presented in the first chapter, we get a genealogy that starts with Abraham and ends with his earthly father, Joseph. The purpose of that is showing Christ's birthright as the king of the Jews. Starts with Abraham. That's where God made his covenant with Abraham about the nation that he was going to set aside, the nation of the Jews. And so by showing that genealogy from Abraham to Joseph, he's, Matthew is demonstrating Christ's birthright to be the king. Matthew quotes over 60 different Old Testament prophecies regarding the king of the Jews and then showing how they were fulfilled. Nine times in Matthew, he refers to Christ as the son of David. There again, that's a reference to that the king of the Jews would come from the lineage of David. So it's again, it's, it's Matthew's demonstration of his right as king. Um, over the cross, and we can read that in Matthew 27, 37, over the cross, Matthew makes the point that the sign is put up that says, this Jesus, the king of the Jews. And he makes no reference to it being in, in anything other than Hebrew. But actually, when we see in Luke, you know, that Luke notes that the inscription over the cross was in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So, I'm sorry, it was in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Um, so, but we see Matthew's bent there that he was making the point that this is the king of the Jews. So that's, that's the picture, that's the flavor that we get from Christ of Christ from Matthew's gospel. It's, he's re- writing it to a Jewish audience to demonstrate to them that the Christ, that Christ was the king of the Jews. Back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, says, The second living creature like a calf. And the calf is a, an ox, a baby ox, but it, it's an ox. And it represents... What was the ox? The ox was the work animal. So the picture of Christ as an ox is as a servant. And that is the picture that we get from the Gospel of Mark. When we study the Gospel of Mark, we get a picture of Christ as a servant. For instance, turn to Mark 10.45. Mark 10, 45, this is Jesus speaking, says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. 
You find that statement in Mark only and not in any others. And it underscores that point of Christ coming to be a servant. More of the miracles and healings are recorded in Mark than even in, say, Matthew, which is a much longer gospel. Again, Mark is showing Christ serving God by performing the miracles and performing the healings. We see Mark doesn't even cover the birth story like it's covered in Matthew and Luke. As a matter of fact, only the first 13 verses in Mark cover anything prior to Christ's ministry. Mark opens up, gives us an introduction for 13 verses, and then he immediately goes into Christ's uh, ministry. We see the word immediately used 40 times in the Gospel of Mark, and we see it used when Jesus will teach something and then immediately do something. And again, it's a picture of Christ, the servant, acting for God. Revelation chapter 4 again, verse 7. We see the third living creature had a face like a man. The third gospel is the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, we see Christ as a man. We see Christ in his manhood. One of the probably most prominent features of the book of Luke is we see many, many of Christ's interactions with women. We see how Christ had a a soft attitude toward women, or he had a compassion toward women. We get some of the stories of, of Christ's interactions with women in some of the other Gospels, but it plays a very heavy role in the book of Luke. We see stories in the book of Luke that are not in any of the Gospels. We see how he deals with women with physical infirmities. We see how he deals with women who are caught in sin. We see how he deals with Gentile women. And we get this complete picture of Christ's compassion in Luke's gospel. And it goes also to beyond women. We see more about his interactions with children. We see more about his interactions with Gentiles. We see more about his interactions with Uh, the less fortunate, the needy, the down and trodden in the Gospel of Luke. Luke presents a picture of Christ's ministry where his, his emotions or his feelings, his compassions for human beings, it really comes out. In Luke's genealogy, we see it traced from Mary, his mother, all the way back to Adam. Okay, Adam was the first man. What we're seeing is the genealogy where he traces it from the time he was born all the way back to the first man. Again, it's giving that picture of Christ the man. Luke is the only one that records after the crucifixion the road to Emmaus where Christ had the interaction with the disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. Christ appeared to them in human form. Again, Luke is emphasizing that point of Christ the man. You know, they're walking along and Christ is walking with him, with them, and they don't even recognize him as being anything out of the ordinary, anything out of normal. Um, we see in the upper room 
where when Thomas said, you know, I won't believe it until I can actually, you know, see for myself and touch him. And Christ told him, you know, to put his finger in his hand. We see Christ, you know, the human, even after his crucifixion. So that's the picture that we get uh, from Luke. All right, back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, says, And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The eagle is a representation of God. We see that throughout the Bible, the eagle being a representation of God. The emphasis of John's gospel, John's gospel presents Christ as God. We don't see a lot of the, well, we don't see any of the parables that we see in the other three gospels. John doesn't record the parables. John starts right off. Turn to John 1.1. Okay. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John starts right off talking about Christ, being there from the very beginning, being with God, being God. Uh, we don't see an account of the birth. You know, we don't, like we saw in Luke and we don't saw in Matthew, John's dealing with Jesus as deity. Jesus is God. John writes the most about the resurrected Christ. While, while the uh, other Gospels um, show the miracles and the healings, John focuses on his teachings and his actions as God. Some of the miracles that John does record show his actions as God. For instance, those miracles that were signs as to who he was, the feeding of the 4,000. That was a miracle that he performed that was a sign of who he was. John has in his gospel the seven I am statements. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Turn ahead to John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And there are four more. Jesus made in his teachings, in talking to these people, he made seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the true vine. These are all statements that he made about his deity. And they were just different pictures that he was giving to illustrate the point. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 57. Then the Jews, he's there in a group of Jews. Then the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Understand that when Jesus said to them, before Abraham, I am, the reason they took up stones, they considered that the worst form of blasphemy to God because that I am goes back to Exodus, Exodus 3.14, 
when Moses asked God, who shall I tell the people that you are? And God said, I am. That was a name that the Jews regarded. That was the name of God. That was exclusive God, I am. So when Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am, in their minds, that's the name of God, that's blasphemy. So this is the picture that John gives us when we study the Gospel of John, as we see Jesus as God. So the answer to the question of why do we have four Gospels is because when we take the time to study our four Gospels, is we really get a picture of the different aspects of Christ. Matthew portrays Christ as the King of the Jews. Mark portrays Christ as the servant, serving God. Luke portrays Christ as the man. And finally, John portrays Christ as God. And so that's why we're very fortunate to have those four pictures. It's no accident that the four Gospels are in the order that they are. The order that they are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, matches the order of the four living creatures that were given in the book of Revelation. So it's no accident that, that they're in the order that they're in. So that's why we have four Gospels. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.